God, those communists are amazing. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Turn Left Podcast. I'm Mike, he, him, and tonight I'm here with Jaron, he, him, and I guess that is Joe Mayall. And Joe, are your pronouns he, him? They are, yes. Thank you for asking. Cool. And so if you could, for our listeners, just plug uh, your website. I mean, your it's a Substack, correct? It is, yeah. So thanks for having me on. And uh, today we're going through my Substack. It's I call it Joe Rote. Um, you can find it at JoeRote.com. That'll direct you to it. And today we're looking at my case for nationalizing the airline. So super excited yeah. to be here. Super excited to uh, talk to you folks. Yeah, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. And uh, I read your article and it's great. I always love the idea of either creating a nationalized kind of uh, infrastructure thing like that, or just taking the ones that already exist. You know, I, I would be fine with that too. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll hand it off to you just so we can get started. And if you would like to read some of your article, and then we can just discuss as we go along. Yeah, definitely. Jumping right in, I'll, I'll uh, save everyone my my wax poetic and jump right into the meat of this. First things first, what is the goal of a state-owned airline, right? Like, why are we doing this? The primary goal is to help Americans move around the country as pleasantly and as low cost as possible. I draw the comparison to just like we have city buses and trains to help us get across states, we should have an airline to help us get across the country. It's just straight up good for us to be able to move around, right? There's economic benefits to tourism, work, leisure, travel. And I've yet to find someone who doesn't agree that flying right now sucks so bad. Um, It's notoriously expensive. It's terrible for the environment and it's just uncomfortable. It's just a, an all around shitty experience, right? You get packed into crowded planes that are, that are overfilled most of the time and it costs you $7 to get a glass of water. And it's not a surprise why it's like this. In the article, I, I actually agree with, you know, capitalist hero, Milton Freeman, what's known as the Freeman doctrine, where Freeman basically says, role of the company is to increase profits as much as possible. And that's its only job. And I agree with him. That is what private companies do. And that is why... He's not wrong there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is the only thing they care about. So when like, you know, an airline is telling you that they're getting to some weird wording of zero net carbon emissions by 20, whatever. 200, like... Yeah, right. It's like <laughs> 200,022 or something like that. That's what they're trying to do. And so to avoid all these negative drawbacks and just have a cleaner environment, a better method of travel, we should nationalize the airline industry. I agree. Hell yeah. I support it wholeheartedly. Uh, welcome, Sterling. How's it going, man? No, oh, you got nothing. <laughs> Shit. We're very professional here, Joe. <laughs> well, considering you guys were like starting off and I couldn't hear you for like 10 minutes, I think I'm the, I'm the <laughs> one who's a little uh, behind the curveball. Yeah. I think to boot with your point, though, I mean, if you look at any large scale government bailout of anything that has happened, like if you look at 9-11 and the stock slump, then 2008, COVID-19, anything that's happened in a millennial's life, really, the airline industry just gets bailed out anyway, you know, to the tune of billions and billions and billions of dollars. Like, yeah. and that's that is public money already. It's already going to these private companies that keep their hand extended out. Every yeah. single time, just something goes wrong, the wind blows the wrong way, and suddenly we're handing the money again. So we might as well own it directly. Jaren, that's a great take. Just cut out the middleman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like one of the things I'm always hearing from like right wingers or even, I mean, I use the term 
like centrist people who are very comfortable with the capitalist status quo is like, you know, we can't be wasting taxpayer money on things like healthcare and like we have to run the government like a business. But like this isn't a business. This is just a charity, right? These airlines are for profit businesses that turn incredible profits. They turned profits last year. They're projected to, I think I call out Delta is projecting some record profits for 2022. Like these are very profitable businesses, but the U.S. taxpayers just have to keep bailing them out, right? We're just handing them money. I'll get into specifics of how I think we can take over these these airlines and make them act for the public good later. But like one of the things that blows my mind is after the 2020 bailout, the payroll support program, we gave $54 billion to these companies with the stipulation that only 26.2% of it has to be repaid. So we just gave them $40 billion, like not a loan, just handing them $40 billion, which goes against everything I've ever heard from like, no, we can't pay for healthcare and why schools are underfunded and why like the trains don't run as frequently because we have to be (laughs) economical, right? Except when, here you go, here's GDP of a small country (laughs) as a handout. (laughs) Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. Sterling's still trying to figure out his mic situation. He'll jump in eventually. It's all right. I mean, even in the first paragraph, I wanted to ask you about uh, the American Workers Bank. If you want to maybe read your first paragraph and then clarify that a little more. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'll go right in. Socialism is often radical. Term revolution is used literally and figuratively and left organizations, politicians and activists have serious policy plans that involve significant changes to the economic and social quo, such as my case for the American Workers Bank. And to answer your question, the American Workers Bank is kind of like my policy, if I could uh, wave a magic wand or if I was king for a day and establish something, this is one of the first things I would I would probably set up. What that is, is my... Um, hey, there you are, Sterling. Oh, you got him. The whole time I was going through all of my different options because I have so many, it's not funny. Um, my mic was turned off, so... Come on, bro. <laughs> 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 what is that? <laughs> What is it? Occam's razor. The simplest explanation is usually the the right one. Yeah. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Nice to meet you, Sterling. I'm Joe. Yep. It's a pleasure. I think that Occam's razor actually applies to like even the situation we were talking about before the actual recording saying like, yeah, of course, it's corporations that are just raising their prices all the fucking time. The Fed doesn't have to print a bunch of money and then have that take effect through however many feedback loops it needs to take effect through, you know, until it finally trickles down on the rest of us through all these market forces. It's like, no. They're just fucking greedy. They're just raising prices. They're making record profits. This is not hard to figure out. And all the fucking fact checks in the world on Instagram are going to change that reality. But continue, Joe. Sorry, I'm going on a rant because I'm pissed off about these social media. If you say quantitative easing, it takes attention away from corporations and gets people to put (laughs) Joe Biden stickers on gas pumps. That's really what we're looking for. Fuck Joe Brandon. Anyway. Quantitative easing is one of my favorite terms because it sounds so scientific. And when you get down to it, it's like, yeah, you just print more money. Like, yeah, yeah it's like basically, yeah, just making shit up to sound smart. Like, <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, American Workers Bank. So, um, my approach to economics, socialism, whatever you want to call it, is definitely a, a blend of you know government central planning and what is sometimes called like market socialism, right? Like things like coffee shops, I think, where I given control of a government that I'd go ahead and nationalize and make sure the government is providing like the necessities of life, right? Like your shelter, your food, all the things 
we need that are really, really important to people. Things like, I don't know, PlayStation, I don't really see as the top priority for a, a new burgeoning socialist state that is probably going to be under threat from capitalist interests. Mm-hmm. And the way I see this in handling like the labor exploitation and you know all the downsides of the private ownership of capital is by workers buying their companies and turning them into co-ops. Specifically, the government should set up a kind of central bank to help workers do that through unions, right? So if I was the owner of Turn Left Podcast Incorporated, you guys could go to the American Workers Bank, make your case for a loan, and then the government would basically give you ideally a zero interest percent loan or a very low interest percent loan to buy me out. This is not that different than what happens now. There's something called getting too nerdy, leveraged ESOPs, leveraged employee stock ownership programs, which is when the employees become the owners of the company. And that's sort of how I see a very important tool to help a, a socialist state focus on the big things, right? The important things, your gas, your airlines, your transportation, without, right. you know, sacrificing all the all the little things that we come to know and love. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's funny if you say that there are already these ESOPs, as you call them, as soon as you said it, I picture everybody on Breitbart freaking out like, oh, my God, this is America turning socialist already. The fact that they're like handing these companies over to these communists and, you know, having them own them collectively. It's like just the, the scare quotes. I can see them already. Oh, yeah. It's very funny because like I know this is cliche, but what's the term like uh, our government is socialism for the rich, as in bailing out airlines and capitalism for the poor. But mm-hmm. like, I honestly think that in the minds of those Breitbart types, like the Marjorie uh, green people like socialism is just bad things that they don't like and capitalism is just good things like yeah. that's like their their framing of the world right like they use those words interchangeable with good and evil right yeah i mean liberals have harry potter and conservatives have joe mccarthy that's <laughs> you know yeah. that's the canon yeah and it's like <laughs> the harry potter thing i think is so read funny. another book <laughs> Jesus yeah. fucking Christ. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's not like incredibly anti-Semitic too. <laughs> like, <laughs> that would be cool, just, yeah. It's just so bad. Speaking <laughs> of banking. Yeah, yeah, right? I know. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Should I keep going with the, with the article? Yeah, please. While drastic change is often necessary, the left would benefit by championing the less radical, legislatively possible tenets of our ideology. Though seldom glorious, these policies would simply make life better for Americans. Higher quality life is a good on its own, but would also have secondary benefits such as courting voters, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, and curtailing rampant profiteering. One such policy is the national state-owned airline. As an example, we'll call this the United States Airline Corporation. That's my kind of uh, placeholder name because we already have American Airlines and United Airlines, so I couldn't call it any of those. So United States Airlines. Yeah, right. It kind of rolls off the tongue. Yeah. yeah. What is the goal of the state owned airline? And please, gentlemen, stop me at any time if I uh, if I start. We definitely will. Don't worry. Yeah. (laughs) You got questions. The primary goal is to help Americans move around the country as pleasantly and as low cost as possible. Just as cities and states have public buses and trains, the United States should have a public airline. Private air travel is clearly suboptimal. It's notoriously expensive, uncomfortable, and contributes unnecessary greenhouse gas emissions. And I uh, include this little snippet from, I'm so sorry to any people from Brussels out there, but the Lufana airline group confirmed it did 18,000 ghost flights, which are 
flights with nobody on them. They just kind of fly around the country so that they can keep their gate spots, which in writing this, I learned is a very unfortunate thing that does. And that's absolutely terrible for the environment and makes your life worse when you're trying to fly around. Literally just flying empty fucking planes, 18,000 of them. What was it just in 2021? Yeah. Unbelievable. It's insane. I know. It's like, and when, as I was going down this. so efficient. Capitalism is so efficient, bro. It's like, and this isn't even like, that was the ghost flights. There's also tons of flights where they will like do baggage transfers, right? So they'll fly the bags separately from the people just so they can keep the gates as well. And that's not even counted as a ghost flight. That's like a, a transportation flight. So it is just, Man, going down this rabbit hole, it was just one of those things where you keep getting more and more depressed. And, and this then is you're just like, one airline. You're yeah. just talking about Lufthansa, just the German airline. This is like, you know, how many airlines can you think of? I know, right? It's that's one airline, 18,000. And that is, and I can't even imagine what the Americans are doing. <laughs> As I continue, all these negatives stem from the same source. As the economist and Chilean fascist enabler Milton Freeman said in his 1970 essay in the New York Times, called the Freeman Doctrine, the social responsibility of a business is to increase profits. Like Thank you for that for- uh, call out to Freeman fucking enabling fascists. Like, yeah. I, I know we talk about it at every opportunity, but the Chicago boys, fuck every single one of them and everyone who helped them in any way whatsoever. And it is like shocking that we did that on its own. And then, right, like not as much as like Venezuela or Brazil, but like Chile has been in the news a little bit recently. And I feel like, the current media hasn't done a good enough job explaining to people that like Chileans are just getting rid of the constitution that our like trained economists help them write from this military dictatorship. I saw no mention of that in any of like the main like you know like New York Times would do like oh what's going on in Chile, Venezuela, Ukraine type thing. Right. No mention of all of how we just basically like yeah you know you don't need a minimum wage or healthcare or education or anything like that just throw the people who talk about that out of helicopters and you'll be good to go so weird they don't mention it yeah huh. but sorry continue <laughs> no no you're good like it or not freeman is right this is the guiding principle of all corporations it's why airlines are willing to kill the planet to keep gate spots the reason expired peanuts cost you 27 dollars on spirit airlines as an alternative to private businesses, governments can enter the economy with a mission of promoting the public good, not profits. This is why I believe the United States government should run an airline that puts profit behind the goal of transporting Americans as pleasantly, eco-friendly, and frugally as possible. And so that's really the, the crux of why I want to do this, is because the for-profit model does not work for, for things like this. There's too many negative externalities. There's too many drawbacks. There's just nothing really great is going to happen if we continue to do this. Yeah. Good job, Jaron. So I, I, I forget what I was doing with this point. Like when, during the Trump presidency, when they were thinking about cutting the funding for the post office, because it quote loses money. Nobody ever says the military loses money, but mm. you know, the post office isn't being run like a business or whatever. <laughs> um, but the thing is, is like, if you're looking at something like the post office, transportation, internet commerce, any of those things, if, if it's big enough and of necessity enough, there is a net economic gain for having accessibility to these things. And if with, you know, even if we just look at my subsect, I'm a small business owner, 46% of the economy is small business, believe it or not. If I have better access to amenities like travel, postage, 
internet commerce, all of these things, then that is a net gain for the rest of the economy because that's not coming out of my bottom line as much. It's paid for with my tax revenue, which is already high enough to cover it. And even this even applies for like Amazon. I read the other day, this is a horrifying statistic. Amazon in the United States commands, I think, like between 42 and 51% of all internet commerce, all of it. That's insane. That is begging for nationalization. Yeah. Because if we could cut down those costs, like to be a prime member and pay an extra, you know, $200 a year just so you can ship things at a normal rate that you could do at a fucking post office for $7, these things would all have the trickle up effect instead of, you know, what conservatives are looking at it as. It's like, oh, well, it's, it's like you're saying, you know, it's just socialism. It's like, no, this will help you run whatever you're trying to fucking do. And airlines are definitely a part of that. You have a great point. Like, why are there city-run buses and there's nothing publicly owned about the airline industry? That's a huge gap. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Like, one of the things I think that socialists are so far from, like, actual political power, but one of the things I think we should really lean into, whether you're, I don't know, running a political campaign or you're more of a revolutionary than a reformist and you just want to kind of build support for your cause like is just your life will be easier and better if we do this right like if amazon wasn't taking a cut off the top of what it takes you to mail someone something or send a gift to someone or something like that yeah like your your life is going to be better right i keep kind of like a joke at this point but like the libertarians still don't really have an answer to how we should organize roads right because everyone paying to like build roads doesn't really make sense and if you're shipping something and you're say you're a capitalist business owner you're shipping something it is cheaper for you to ship that because you are on u.s government built roads because the u.s has air traffic control where even if you ship with a ups flight like that plane has to be organized against all the other planes by the u.s government by air traffic control And that is really one of the things that I think is like a total benefit to the left is that our policies are often a lot more simple, in my opinion, than than the the right wing libertarians and also much more simpler than sort of the the democratic centrists where they're like, oh, we're going to, you know, keep things the way they are, but we're going to subsidize this and we're going to cap the expenses here and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a great example of just it's simpler. It makes sense and it'll make everyone's life a lot easier. Yeah. Sterling had something. What was that, Sterling? Oh, I was just going to say for any of our listeners who do a lot of shipping, um, pirateship.com, you can get like half off what you would pay pretty much anywhere else. So highly recommend yeah, nice. that website if you do a lot of shipping. That's huge. I needed to know yeah, that. Dude, Thank you. Yeah, check, yeah, check it out. <laughs> Especially you, dude. Basically, uh, it's like this third party company that runs like all kinds of discounts and stuff that all the big ones use. So. It gives you several different options. (laughs) Pirateship.com. Is this an advertisement? Is this how the podcasting game works? You you start uh, shouting out. The only time we ever done that on the podcast. That's uh, pirateship.com. Promo code turn left for 80% off. (laughs) The dance story. That was great. I was going to do a jingle. If you've got shit. To ship to fucking people. Yeah, I can't do a jingle off the cuff, apparently. Sorry. (laughs) 
Uh, go ahead, Joe. I'll let you uh, continue with your article. Cool. So my next kind of segment is, right, we, we made the case for why we should do this, but how will we do this? Section two, how will the U.S. create an airline? First, Congress will need to charter a state-owned enterprise, also known as an SOE, to create and oversee the operations of this national airline. SOEs are corporations where government has the full or controlling share of the company. The U.S. has numerous SOEs in industries ranging from agriculture to wildlife preservation to prison. So this isn't really a novel process. Absolutely terrifying that the government is invested in prisons, but that's a conversation for a different day. <laughs> we'll call this hypothetical corporation the United States Airline Company. The best template for USAC is Amtrak, which oversees the nation's public rail service. Side note, ideally, when in my dream world where the United States has this airline up and running, we can merge these two, the airlines and Amtrak together into a kind of symbiotic travel agency. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I could rant about Amtrak and how it's underfunded and how it's actually a very nice way to travel all day. But again, different conversation. Once I the mean, corporation is... We love trains. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, um, I'm originally from Massachusetts and like probably 30% of Boston comes in from Western Mass on the commuter rail, which is uh, an Amtrak built. So I totally know that it can, it can work as long as, you, as long as you fund it properly. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Who would have guessed? <laughs> <laughs> Once the corporation is established, there are two simultaneous ways to create a national airline. First, to build one, and the second is to nationalize existing airlines. Number one is super simple. Uh, USAC would purchase airlines from manufacturers, hire flights and ground crews, and operate the airline just like any other. Passengers would be able to purchase tickets online, go to the airport, and fly to their destination. Yeah, one thing about the U.S. government is, for all its faults, it is very well connected to aerospace manufacturers, such as Boeing, Raytheon, etc. So number one would really not be that hard. It's basically just like we build military planes now, we would say, uh, just don't put the guns on them, and we're going to use them for flying people to California instead of uh, bombing Afghans. But yeah, yeah, right. That'd be nice. <laughs> what a crazy world that would be, right? <laughs> yeah. Number two, USAC could either uh, this is nationalizing the existing airlines. USAC could either purchase publicly traded airlines, talk about that in a bit, or wait until the air travel industry inevitably needs another bailout. It has already happened twice this century. First time was following 9-11 when Bush bailed out the industry with $18.6 billion. This was known as the Airport Transportation Stabilization Act. When the pandemic hit, the airlines received another $54 billion as part of the government's payroll support program with the requirement that only 26.2% of it be repaid. In short, taxpayers gave these companies $40 billion. In the words of American Airlines CEO Doug Parker, it's not an exaggeration to say the program saved the industry. Um, I'll pause there because I feel like there's a lot there to talk about. I mean, just right off the bat, I would love any of our listeners who have any kind of student loans to consider what it would be like if they only had to pay back 26.2% of those loans and didn't have any interest on it at all. Imagine how much that would change your life. Man, it, it is... It is insane. Like all the shit we get about like, you can't pay for this. How are you going to pay for Medicare? Like you talked about student loans. Like, I just think it's like a national crime that like not every American is like screaming at the top of their lungs about this. Right. Like this is, this is insane. We just, I said it before and I'm going to sound like a broken record. We just gave them $40 billion. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Right. There you go. So I'm, I'm not going to 
straw man this too hard, but it is a little bit of a straw man. This is all Reagan's fucking fault. This is all Ronald fucking Reagan's fault. Like, 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 insert any topic. I'm not a fan of conservatives at the best of times, but like conservatives before Reagan were just like, yeah, we don't want regulations on like oil drilling. And then Reagan was just like, hey, guys, if government does anything, it's bad. And every all the conservatives were all of a sudden just like, yeah, government bad, government bad. And they won't trust anything to it, even if it's just an idea or a thought like Sterling put it best. I don't know what episode this was, but it's just a tool. Government's just a tool. If it were a hammer, you can use a hammer to build something constructive or bash someone's head in. But it's really how you use it that determines the the purpose of that tool. And Ronald Reagan cucked the right wing so hard that they could listen to you say all this, which all of it makes wonderful sense, by the way. And they would just be like, well, here's all the problems with it. And none of those problems make a goddamn bit of sense. It would just be like permutations of like, well, when you give them power, it's a slippery slope. Every time dude. over and over again. <laughs> Man, it is like, it's such a bizarre ideology to me, right? Because you have like the really far right, like anarcho-capitalist type people who are like, there should be no government at all. But then you have like the mainstream conservatism that's most prominent in America, but is elsewhere, which is like any government after what was Reagan's election? 1981, I want to say, is that sound about right? They're still very much like, yeah, we're not going to touch Social Security or Medicare, right? Like I used to work in selling Medicare insurance and Medicare is socialized health insurance, 80% if you're over 65. And it's like this weird ideology where it's like, that's fine. But if you lower that age or you cover 81%, like you're a communist and (laughs) fuck you. Yeah, it's such a, like once that I'm always like, that blows my mind is the only president to support some sort of national health initiative is Richard Nixon, right? Like that's insane. Left-wing icon Richard Nixon was like basically trying to get this like proto Medicare for all type thing until it got shot down by Congress. Like critical support for tricky dick. Yeah. Right. (laughs) It's insane. Yeah. I mean, Joe, if you want to, if you want to read those uh, couple headlines you have there that you include in your article, I would say go ahead because those are uh, those are great, spicy. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so I will caveat this by these were posted uh, both on the same website by the same reporter. Three hours, three apart. hours apart. Yeah. <laughs> so the first one is Delta keeps twenty twenty two profit forecast on travel rebound despite Omicron, and then three hours later. Delta CEO says 8,000 employees have tested positive for COVID in the last four weeks. (laughs) You could not make this shit up. Like, if the Onion wrote this, people would be like, come on, that's not real. (laughs) And, like, this is back to what I was saying earlier, right? Like, this is nationalized. We can, like, balance for all these things, right? Like, some of the strongest unions are public sector, and I think that's, that's really good, right? We can make sure that we're protecting workers while getting airlines or air travel to the extent it it can, right? But with a profit motive back to Milton Friedman, he's just like, come on, baby, we need Green Line go up. Let's uh, let's crank these flights out. And 8,000 people are sick in four weeks. God knows how many of them died. Yeah. Jesus. All right. Continuing on. 
If in both 2001 and 2021, the government had purchased airline equity instead of handing money to the owners, the state would have acquired significant equity on behalf of the American people. That equity could have been the foundation of the United States Airline Corporation, a much superior outcome for average Americans than the continuous cycle of charity for capitalists. While we wait for the next financial disaster, USAC could purchase publicly traded airline stock and force a merger upon achieving a controlling share. Here are the market caps, which is the total value of issued stock of the four leading airlines operating in the United States. Delta is $25 billion, American Airlines is $11 billion, Southwest is $26 billion, and United Airlines is $14 billion. These caps are from about three weeks ago, I want to say. Yeah, published on January 20th. If you had told me beforehand that Southwest was going to be the most valued one, I would have not believed you. Yeah, that's yeah, weird, actually, right? Actually, yeah. 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 Very odd, but I mean, the stock market is really just guessing on like how much something is going to be worth in the future. It's almost like holy uh, shit's fake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, not far off. Um, the economic calculation problem, guys. Yeah, it's just it's, it's too hard for us to understand, Aaron. We just can't. We just got to keep starving because we just can't understand it. Like, yeah, from what I'm told, it could bury Marx. <laughs> While these values may sound gargantuan, that's probably the biggest word I know. Me trying to sound smart. Consider that the government gave these industries $72.6 billion between 2001 and 2021. That's it's so weird that that adds up to like that same amount. That like you just, <laughs> if you just total those four numbers you gave me. Yeah. yeah. It's just $4.9 shy of the sum of the market caps of all four of these major airlines. So instead of bailing out these for-profit companies twice, the United States could have diverted $5 billion from the Pentagon's budget purchased all four of these airlines and merged them into a democratically accountable United States airline that operated for the good of the people in the environment, not the profits. Um, you know, it's always under the veil when they do this, when the government gives them the, the bailouts, is they're like, well, we can't let the workers suffer. And then the airline industry takes the money and lays off the workers anyway. And, you know, 20 years down the road, this is insane. We could have just fucking owned it. Yeah, like the whole the whole purpose of the, all the COVID bailouts was like you have to keep X amount of people staffed. And it was very much even in the media positioned as like a worker bailout. But as we saw, Delta got 8,000 people sick and this money isn't going to them. Like, let's be real here. One of the other super depressing things I learned about this is that airline attendants are only paid hourly while they're in the air. So like while you're boarding and stuff, like they don't get paid shit. They don't get paid uh, until they are in the air. So like this idea that we're saving the workers is is total horseshit. We're just giving the guys at the top money. That's all that's, yeah, that's happening fun. here. Yeah. You think about how much time they spend actually boarding and deboarding and waiting and taxiing on the runway and all that bullshit. Oh my god. That's insane. Yeah. It's crazy. Like I had to stop myself there because I was like, I'm gonna get so depressed if I go down this, but I mean, that sounds like a terrible job going back and forth between time zones and sleeping over and stuff. I assumed if they were like sleeping away from their home, they were getting like overtime and stuff like that. And now <laughs> it's not. Yeah, it's even there's a whole bunch of other fucked rules for pilots too. like a bunch of companies have been accused of like trying to get pilots to fly back to back and not get overtime. And of course, you're sleep deprived. You shouldn't be flying a plane. It's yeah, a it's yeah. a whole can of worms, man. Well, yeah. 
All right. Getting into what I kind of call the, the bigger picture here. There are two reasons the U.S. state should control its air travel. Number one, Americans should be able to traverse their country as easily, frugally, and comfortably as possible. Even the staunchest capitalists can't defend private air travel as easy, frugal, and comfortable with a straight face because flying is absolutely miserable. And number two, air travel is disastrous for the environment, contributing 2.5% of CO2 emissions. Um, this will need to be significantly curtailed to mitigate the coming climate catastrophe. For context, this uh, episode, again, probably won't come out for a while, but this is just a couple of days after the Super Bowl and the meme going around is... Uh, the tweet that shows the 400 plus flights that uh, private flights that left L.A. right after the Super Bowl. Somebody tweeted it with the caption, don't forget to recycle everyone, because that is absolutely the takeaway there is like you could recycle all you want. You could buy green all you want. You could spend all the money and it's not going to make a lick of difference. if People keep flying private jets every fucking place that they want to, not to mention all the ghost flights from the airlines. But yeah, dude, it is. That is like most like that blame on consumerism, like. Oh, it's it's your fault, average person, that the planet is is dying, as opposed to like I think the number one contributor, number two, are in order the United States military and the Chinese military, right? Because they just drive aircraft carriers around like all the time, like basically a dick measuring contest in the South China Sea, and like that is why like I don't know, there's hurricanes hitting Ireland in February, but like it's way easier for companies and governments to be like. Make sure you uh, turn off the light when you like step out to go get a drink of water or something like that. It's mm -hmm. it's such like a a way of shifting blame from the actual causes of this. Like the fact that private air travel is legal is is fucking insane. Like that's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Go All ahead, right. Continue. Uh, only democratic control of air travel will solve these problems. Ideally, the United States Airline Corporation will be one part of a state-run transportation regime that gradually brings transportation under democratic control. The U.S. is decades behind other wealthy nations in high-speed rail, a much more climate-friendly and, in my opinion, enjoyable way to travel. A countrywide high-speed rail network should be constructed alongside the USAC's consolidation of air travel. Once both are in place, we can increase rail travel as we decrease air travel, preserving the environment and improving the experience. Uh, one thing I included here, and I urge people to go uh, check out the article is because I used a tweet that has a side-by-side -side of China's high-speed rail development between 2008 and 2020. And it is massive. Like it is, it is not an understatement to say they have covered their entire country in high-speed rail in the short span of just over a decade, which is an incredibly impressive feat. And I feel like every time high-speed rail is brought up, critics are like, oh, well, Japan is so small. The UK is so small. But like, this is China, right? Like, this is one of the biggest landmass countries in the world. So they can do it. There's no reason that the United States can't do it as well. It's, again, it's so funny to see something like this. First off, it's amazing. But also, like, the right wing of America, which is pretty much all of it if you include the liberals, you know, have this sort of nostalgia for, for the mid-century, you know, bloated welfare state and all the great things that America accomplished then, one of which was when Keynesian economics actually worked one time because they applied the Keynesian stimulus to something that had a net gain later, and that was the interstate system under Dwight Eisenhower. And that is what this is the precursor to. You know, it was the American way of doing this. It was just putting roads everywhere so that everyone can have a fucking car and drive in their car across the country. But no matter what, it was a massive socialized expenditure 
for the ease of travel and commerce, which is exactly what we're seeing in China, just arguably a more advanced version because it doesn't require everyone to have a fucking sedan. And like, if you look at it through the lens of like the 1950s welfare state and Dwight Eisenhower and like the American nostalgia that these people think they understand, you know, back when people had 70% marginal uh, <laughs> uh, taxable income over X amount of dollars, we were way closer to socialism then than we ever will be under Joe fucking Biden. But, you know, if you look at this map, it makes my whole point is it makes me think of the U.S. prior to the interstate and then after the interstate. Think about a country here in the U.S. that does not have interstate roads. Like, let that sink in for a second. Let it, let it sink in how fucking inconvenient that would be for everyone. We had that prior to the 1950s and prior to the government coming in saying, we're going to do this, hiring the workers, spending the money, and then it catapulted everything that we could do in this country so far forward just by doing that. The idea that like having an, an interrail system like this is, you know, it's too much money or it can't be done. That's just selfish and historically ignorant reasoning. Yeah, 100 percent. I live in Denver, so I'm like there's one road, I-70, that pretty much goes right through the Rockies. And that was built by Eisenhower's interstate initiative. And if that wasn't built, like, I don't think people would understand how much more difficult it would be to get all their shit that's brought in with trucking, right? Like you, as you go through I-70 and it's a tunnel, it's pretty crazy. That goes like straight under the mountains. You can like look up and see the paths that people used to use before. And it is kind of like a horse cart pass that was like paved over, right? Like there is nothing getting through there on an 18 wheeler or anything like that. And it's kind of like the choke point of the country. It's how you get through the Rockies. And it's like we were saying earlier, it's this weird ideological, like right wingism that's like, oh, any government after 1981 is bad, right? Like if we had yeah. tried to build an interstate now, they'd be like, no, that's, that's socialism. Even though everything we talked about earlier is like, it makes your life better, it makes everything better. It's just so crazy, man. And just real quick, I love yeah. the caption that you put to this side by side. <laughs> of the Chinese railway expansion because you put if there's a new Cold War, we're losing it. And it's just like I'm already picturing like what right wingers would say if you even show them this very simple to understand graphic, which is like they're just gonna have to make up stories about like, oh well they had to enslave people to get that built, or it's probably just fake anyway. Like I bet if you actually went there this railway was gonna even be there. Like they literally have to make up coping strategies because they cannot deal with the fact that America is just setting itself up for a century of humiliation. Yeah. It is like, I'm not a China expert, so I'm not like the guy to talk about everything. But every time I hear something about, even China, any country that is like Vietnam too, right? Vietnam had a, a pretty solid COVID response, especially in the beginning. And it's just like, well, you can't trust those numbers, right? Just like, <laughs> every time, total, like even though, even though Americans are retiring to Vietnam for their health care. Yeah. Like cover like, your ears, no, 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 I can't hear you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's like the one thing I think that, a lot of the American, I can't remember who said, but like American right, including like the liberals is going to have like, I think it's going to be like a panic moment is when China's GDP overtakes the US GDP. And that's measured by like, you know, the UN and the World Bank. So there's not going to be any way to be like, oh, that's, that's a lot. That's not China providing the numbers. 
that happened in October of 2021. Um, I don't think it's stuck. I think it like fluctuated since then, but it did already okay. happen. And it's and I think it's going to continue. It's going to be one of those things where like it's like Bitcoin. It's going to go up and down, but then then it'll just take off and then we're really going to be sunk. Yeah, I didn't, I actually didn't know it. It bobbed above us for a little bit. That's that's crazy. But it's like one of those things. I think once it. I mean, I can only imagine the opinion pieces once we start getting left in the dust, where it's like, well, we're still number one for yeah. whatever reason. <laughs> Big opium. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Uh, finishing up here. Ideally, the distant future will see the majority of transportation. From public buses to car manufacturing to the line scooters that are impossible to look cool on provided by the state as i was saying earlier i'm not an advocate for a completely planned economy at least in modernity but i do believe that the necessities of life food shelter water transportation education etc etc are largely failed by markets markets work when the consumers have the choice to enter them if consumers don't have the choice i.e traveling to work or moving cross-country for a job then the market isn't free it's coercive mm-hmm. additionally democratic, eco-friendly travel will just make life better. We'll be able to visit our families, go on vacation, and see our beautiful country without fear of ruining the planet or getting dragged off an overbooked plane like a drunk white girl getting removed from a nightclub. And I finish it just by reminding everyone of the incident of, I think it was United, dragged a passenger off a plane and like literally beat the shit out of him. And that was like a paying customer like yeah. every rule about like free market customer is always right. Just like, Oh, they literally just kicked the shit out of a guy, knocked him unconscious and dragged him off the plane. Cause they overbook planes because it makes yeah. them money. Yeah. So that is um, my article. That is kind of my pitch for why we should nationalize the airline. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't say I have like a, a single critique. I mean, you ended the article last sentence you put there is like, what do you think about my case for United States airline corporation? And I'm all in favor. I was saying before we actually started the recording, I had listened again to the Chapo episode where they had on these authors of the book, The People's Republic of Walmart. And it was based around the idea of just nationalizing Walmart, nationalizing Amazon. And it's so easy and it's so simple. And they mentioned the economic calculation problem. And this is basically an answer to that. And the basic assumption from the right is that if you have any kind of centrally planned economy, centrally planned anything, it leads to totalitarianism or, or authoritarianism, like something bad. It's just like, you know, this is control over me. So therefore it's bad, even though they have to, again, completely ignore all the control over them in the private sector. And so the idea being that you need an army of bureaucrats to handle this kind of centrally planned economy. People usually reference the Soviet Union because it's the best, I guess, example that we have. And the authors of this book, and this is going to be funny for us to talk about on this podcast for how much we love the Soviet Union and Stalin and everything. But what they found was that the reason that like, what's up, Sterling? A tread lightly, buddy. Yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> trust me, nobody wants to say it less than I do. But like what they found was that it was the authoritarianism that was the problem in that situation. And, you know, of course, you know, being actual Marxists, like we can critique that and say this is something we should learn from and not repeat. You know, obviously authoritarianism and heavy handedness of whatever force is needed is fine if it's used against fascists. But if it's used against your own party members just because you're you're doing some kind of doctrinaire shit, then, yeah, it's bad. But the idea was that people were like faking quotas or lying about their numbers or saying like, oh, we actually can't produce this many bristles on this toothbrush, or whatever. They specifically use that example because of how like inane it is. But the idea was that people since people were afraid of going to the gulag or getting shot, they would lie about their numbers. And 
you know, the right usually uses the price signal as a response to this. And they say, this is the only rational and workable way to have these things work. It's like, you have to have the price signal. And it's just really not the case. And I think that like, I mean, I hate to go back to China all the time, but it's the only, I guess, best example that we have for an alternative system to what we're seeing in the U.S. And we can see that it's working very well. And I feel like if people want the U.S. to get better, capitalism should do what it claims to do and adopt things from wherever they come from if they work. You know what I mean? Like that, that's supposedly the claim about capitalism is that it will uncritically adopt things that work and then shed off things that don't. But you can see in real time that that is not the case because people are not doing well, people are not being served, and the market is not adapting to these conditions where essentially planned economies like China are. Uh, but I'll hand it off to you, Jaron. The, the whole thing, and I mean, you know, I have my grievances with like former communist states and current communist states and all that shit. But like, if you're going to look at the USSR and the brief a little more than a half a century that it existed as like, this is what happens in communism. Like this is, you know, the formative, for, let's just give it, let's be generous. The first century of communism, what happened during it, right? If we look at the first century of capitalism and what happened during it, it was actual fucking slavery yeah. and actual fucking genocide. So if we're looking at case studies of the first century and the first century of each one, one of them's definitely worse. <laughs> So let's just go ahead and put that to rest. But even as far as like the bureaucracy and all of that, like no matter what you do, if you run a large central state, it's going to take a lot of effort and infrastructure to do so. But even from the anarchist perspective, if I look at it through my particular lens. I'm not necessarily anti-state. If the state is working to a means of mutual aid, and to a means of other anarchist ideals that I support, if it is an avenue to those things, then it has my support. If it is not based around punitive ideals, and if it is something that actually helps people achieve the necessities that they require, then it has my support because it fits right in line with other things that I believe as an anarchist. So like, you know, to that effect, I do love autonomy. So like, yeah, I want to still see private sector in the sense of like, I'm a private jeweler. I don't want to be absorbed by the state, but that's just it. I make jewelry. I don't make food. I don't make the means for transportation. I don't do something to be real. That's actually important. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's the difference. And I think that like, from an anthropological perspective, the only purpose of a society is to have the infrastructure to make others' lives better. We are a communal animal. So if those necessities are not provided for us by society as a whole, there's quite literally no purpose of a society at all. Yeah, that, that's a, a great point. Like I, I suggest people go, if you're on Twitter, follow the historian Patrick Wyman. He responded to some... I think it was like Matt Gates or one of those congressmen who was like, states Ugh. shouldn't give uh, food. And like, he's, you know, a, a real trained published historian. And, you know, he kind of put into perspective that the origin of a state was a granary with an army, right? That's what it was. It was the people putting their food together so that everyone could eat and then scripting an army to protect that food, right? Like that is the basic Accurate. function of the state. It is born out of human welfare. And to the points about like central planning, like one of the things I think 
we were talking earlier, uh, Mike, you mentioned People's Republic of Walmart, a uh, fantastic book, and like talking about anyone who's ever worked for a company, you know, that is a centrally planned institution internally. The orders are given on high by what you can call them bureaucrats, unelected officials, bureaucrats decide. One thing I really want to make clear to people with my writing is that central planning is in place in the United States. It's just capitalist. And the example I use for this is in the Northeast, the energy, the electricity that is delivered to your house is provided by a private company, Eversource. And Eversource was planned by the government, as in the government told it where to build power lines, where to build power plants, and says you have to deliver energy to every home in the six states of New England, right? So Eversource can't be like, we're not going to have a profit if we build power lines out to the one crazy guy who lives in in Western Mass in the woods in the middle of nowhere. They have to deliver it. That is central planning. That is the government saying, this is how we're going to distribute resources. There's no market. You can't call a different energy provider and have them build power lines down the street to your house in the middle of Boston. It is centrally planned and capitalist. Eversource is a for-profit company that pays quarterly dividends to its shareholders. And so when I hear people like central planning is tyranny, that's Stalin all over again. Like that's not really true. It's in place also, right now in the next. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I said also don't excite me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, the like natural next step of this is to eliminate that profit because that profit is waste. That's people paying surplus value that is just going to no end. So the natural step in that is nationalizing Eversource and the rest of the energy providers and like just making it more efficient, making life better. The other cognitive dissonance that hits me, and I'm sorry, I got to go after this, but I really enjoyed your article. That was really great to listen to. But the other cognitive dissonance that hits me is like when you mention workers controlling their workplace, you get a bunch of backlash about socialism, but there's not an eyebrow raised in the majority of the U.S. about like these far-flung, distant stockholders being able to vote on company decisions when the workers themselves cannot. And for some reason, that is more acceptable than the people whose hands are calloused from actually doing the work, having agency in their work. And it, it wasn't always that way. I mean, you know, if you do look again at the mid-century, there was a right wing that existed, that did support unions, and that did support the workers, the blue-collar workers, fucking Reagan. But like, <laughs> you know, this this disenchantment with like, you know, nowadays a right-winger, if they see workers strike, they're automatically against it unless they have Trump flags and they're anti-vaxxers blocking off Ottawa, <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> Eric, Jaron, just real quick, we just mentioned on one of our recent Cars and Comrades uh, series on Walter Ruther, like, there was a time in America where even right-wingers would not cross a picket line. And that was yeah. a huge deal. But yeah. continue. No, I mean, that's, that's really all I had in summation. But like, you know, I, I grew up in Appalachia and the, the history of Appalachia is fascinating to me because there's a lot of like Irish diaspora. There's a lot of, you know, like the second degree Europeans that ended up in the mountains. And if you look at like something like Blair Mountain, these people were not liberal. They were not left. Yeah. They were conservative. They are still conservative, but back then, all the workers would band together, 
put forth their demands. And if they weren't met, they just firebomb their boss's house. Based. <laughs> you know, and those, those were not Marxists. Those were people who didn't have a political affiliation other than apes together strong, basically. <laughs> That's about they, it. You know, they, they, they were Marxists, but they didn't realize they were Marxists. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> as as Parenti says, Marxism is just reality. Yeah. Or reality is Marxist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, getting that division in the blue collar working class to where they just dismiss everything before it's even articulated upon is the greatest heist of the 20th century. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it's like it puts you up the wall, but I swear, and Jaron, don't let me hold you, man, but I swear, like, working class nowadays means like, I with a beard who who likes pickup trucks, right? Like that's how like everyone refers to working class. You mentioned the the protest in Canada. From what I can tell, reading Canadian leftists, it's very like owner operators, so people who had the capital to buy like a five hundred thousand dollar eighteen wheeler truck, right? Like it's like, but they're working class because they like drink beer and like like it when the truck horn is loud, right? It's like. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, brother. They can yeah. afford to take two weeks off of work to go and just exactly. fucking camp out on the yeah. bridge and block up traffic. But, okay. <laughs> you know who can't do that? People with bosses. Their bosses yeah. would be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> Completely accurate. <laughs> yeah. I love anyway. it. All right, Jerry, you got to go? Yeah, good to chat with y'all. Thanks for your time, man. Had a great time. Absolutely. Enjoyed it. Let me know what you, you think of Pirate Ship. You're going to love it. That could very well change so much for me because I'm getting destroyed with shipping race right now. Bro, you're going to love me. I promise you. <laughs> I'll text you later. All right, man. All right, y'all. Again. Later. Later. All right, so Joe, so we finished with your article, but I guess I would like to ask you, are there any other points that you'd like to make? Anything maybe you didn't get to in the article that you'd like to talk about? Yeah. Um, one thing is, one of the reasons or critiques, I guess, I got from the left, which I actually agree with, is people saying like, well, we should be prioritizing healthcare was the most common one, right? Like folks are saying like, this would be awesome, but nobody, nobody's dying really because of this, at least in the immediate sense of like, you know, I can't afford my insulin. And I agree with that. I think if we were a, I don't know, Joe Biden came to the left and was like, Hey guys, you get one thing. Like we should, I would pick healthcare. Yeah. One of the reasons I, I wanted to write this piece and, and draw attention to it is one, because I think it's very possible. The reason I, I highlighted like the two bailouts in the past two decades, which is a very short time span in the in the grand scheme of things, is because it would be very easy for us to nationalize this. I think it would be it would have been, as I crunched the numbers here kind of the same cost, right? And we would have actually got something instead of just giving our money away. Yeah. And the benefit to that is one, everything we went over today and like the the pros of having a nationalized air industry, but two, it would also prove that like this can work at whatever you want to call it, state-run enterprise, collective ownership of the means of production. Like this is a viable way to structure our economy, or at least aspects of our economy. And I think that social proof is going to be huge for the left because, you know, the terms radical left, socialist, communist, right, that stuff is so disparaged in American life that doing something and saying, this is how we will make your life better 
and proving it, right? Nationalizing the airlines, making them run better, and then not being afraid to tout that, right? In my hypothetical dream world, a socialist president, President Joe Manchin, after his uh, his conversion to the, oh, the right side of things, <laughs> would like, you know, show to the American people, like, you own this airline. There is no one getting huge bonuses. There's no big fat cat at the top. It is owned and operated by you. And you got to fly easier and have a better life because of that. And I think... One, it's available to us if we had like the political will for it. As we went through, it'd be very easy. We can buy these companies for a fraction of what we spend on the military every year. And then I think from there, it'll build the political consensus we need for, you know, the increasing socialization of our economy and our and our society. So if you read this and we're like, I think this is secondary to healthcare, I agree with you. The only thing is I think healthcare is going to be very difficult for us to to nationalize and set up a national health service type um, organization as opposed to this which seems to be like these airline companies aren't very good at running them because they keep running them into the ground so we should uh pick them up on that <laughs> yeah i think when you were saying that you got criticism from people saying that you should prioritize healthcare because it's an obviously more dire need for most people it reminded me again to bring up our walter ruther series but like Connor had mentioned that a tactic used by labor struggles around this time was these coordinated strikes that were intentional. They would boycott, like the example they used, like, let's say you boycotted McDonald's right now until they raised their wage to $25 an hour. You could effectively really cripple McDonald's if you still continue to shop at every other fast food place. And that would be a very feasible goal. And that's what I think you were saying with the airline thing is like, this is feasible to start with. And then if you could make changes that people can see in their lifetime, because again, it's been 30, 40 years since the U.S. has done anything successful that has like helped anybody in any meaningful way whatsoever. So people just don't have any kind of positive examples to look to. But if you could nationalize an airline or create a national airline and people could see that it actually works, then that would actually work better than even the post office example, because people still are so ideologically steeped that they think that the post office should be run like a business and that it doesn't turn a profit, even though, like you say, no one mentions that the military doesn't turn a fucking profit. Like so. This would be a great example of something that you could actually get done and then show people that it works and then maybe move on to healthcare from there because then people would be pissed off that they're not getting that already. I know. I think it's a, I think yeah. it's a great idea. Yeah, 100%. And like, I think it'll get us kind of like a snowball, right? Like we've been talking about Reagan a lot. I think a lot of the stuff we see now is just because Reagan said a bunch of crazy shit back in the 80s. And if you were, I don't know, my age back then, you're like 60 now, which is like, I think the average age of a, of a congressperson or a senator at least. And so like building this will have long-term generational momentum. And I think there's a lot that the left can, can point to now. I'm very critical of the US, but you know, something like social security, right? Like the criticism I heard from the right on this is government can't run an airline. Like it's a very weird thing where it's like, um, the U.S. is the best country that's ever been created, but also we're too fucking stupid to like <laughs> set up bus stops, which like I don't really understand. But like, yeah, right, that's actually a great take. Like the U.S. has set up the greatest country to ever exist, just with its pure, you know, force of will and the the might of its government. But that government also cannot handle giving you the most basic services to live. Yeah. We're also uh, ordained by God, according to some, right? Like of we course, were yeah. manifest destiny. This was our <laughs> continent, but like. We can't even fucking, I don't know, 
get pencils for school children. Like I, <laughs> I don't know how you square that circle, but like my point there is like, I remind everyone that social security was set up and I think it was like 1932 long before we had computers, long before we had any sort of like internet type way to run this and it and great. It is, I think last night, fact, the most popular thing in America, way more than like, I don't know, the NFL or Apple Pie or anything like that. Like everyone loves social security and that thing's been going on for a hundred years. And that started as just people writing down percentages of paycheck. So we could do that then. We surely can do this where the infrastructure is entirely in place. We just, you know, kind of have to have the balls to do it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's pretty much the basis of the off-left position in general. It's just You just have to have the political will and the might to do it. Yeah. I think a, a big benefit to us is our message is very simple, right? We should tax everyone and pay for healthcare at one because it'll be cheaper and simpler. We should um, combine these airlines into one. It's very simple. And I think... I'm actually very fortunate. I'm a, I'm a leftist and not like a, a centrist Matt Iglesias type because I think trying to economically balance this stuff with trying to rationalize how this economic problem we went through of all the bailouts is, is good is like, <laughs> it's very difficult mathematically, I think, as yeah. opposed to, you know, I didn't score great in math in school, but all it took me was Google and a calculator to kind of come up with this plan. In my opinion, I, I really haven't heard a, I guess, grounded pushback on the on the finances or the the mathematics behind it. I've definitely gotten like you know the era communist shithead stuff, but no one's been well, able I mean, to really. It's super tough to defend neoliberalism, but it would be much tougher if the entire liberal media, which is a thing, like as much as the right wing sounds dumb when they say that the entire media is liberal, they're right. They just don't realize it because the media is capitalist. The the media espouses liberalism, specifically neoliberalism, and has for the past 40, 50 years, because that is the only fucking option in America. Left or right, that is the only option left to you is neoliberal capitalism. And you can have different flavors of it. You can have the flavor that discriminates against trans people and minorities of every kind and people of color, or you can have the, the kind that does the same thing and pretends that it's not doing those, but you're mm. only going to get neoliberal capitalism. And so, I don't know, I'm probably just making the same point that I'm always making. It's just the right is getting everything that they want and never happy about it. You're right, though. Like, I think the the future is when people are like, oh, Google is a left-wing company. I, one, don't think that's, I think it's a liberal company. I don't think it's a left-wing company. And I think our country, and to a larger extent, the modern capitalist predominantly northern hemisphere is turning into basically what it's going to be is a bunch of companies like starbucks that bust unions and you know tweet black lives matter right like that's that's where it's going and that's when people say when right-wingers say oh the media is liberal what they're usually talking about is like cnn and new york times and I, i think that's that's right because they are capitalist institutions that are in the market and they are serving the need which is American people largely want to hear progressive socially, right? Like trans rights or anti-Trump rhetoric or stuff like that. But the right got all the economic stuff. They got all the free market, no unions, no worker control, no nationalization. And so I think that's really where we're, where we're heading, right? All these companies I went through, like Delta tweets, trans lives matter and has like the trans flag on one of their tail fins of the plane while their workers are getting infected with COVID, right? Like, that's the way we're going. Yeah. 
I think something like nationalizing the airlines would really sort of consciously or subconsciously burst that that neoliberal bubble that America is stuck in. Thank you for reminding me. That's why I had brought that up, because I wanted to just trash neoliberalism in general and say that, again, it's hard to defend it, but it's easy because they have so much of the entire media on their side. But I think that kind of proves our point, because you can only really delude people for you really can't even delude them at this point. Like people know that their lives are getting harder every year. People like intuitively understand that because even if they're not balancing their checkbook every month, they still have a bank account and they know that they're scared to swipe their debit card. You know what I mean? Like that is the reality of living in America is the precarious nature of your work-life balance and your paycheck to paycheck lifestyle. And it's just people can make all the case for neoliberalism as much as they want. They can have all the cherry picked stats that the, the media uses to justify it. But the reality is what it is. And it's just on our side. And I, I feel like that's just undeniable. Like when when most Americans don't have four hundred dollars saved for a dire emergency and people are like a bad month away from homelessness. Yeah. I mean, you can only cherry pick and skew the stats so much. Yeah. And I think I think you're 100 percent right. Like people know that in their reality. Right. Like a lot of people don't think about politics. They're more concerned with, like you said, swiping their debit card. And I think the failure of neoliberalism opens the door for fascism, right? It opens the door for Trump because people feel there's a problem. And so when the liberal political establishment, i.e. the Hillary Clinton comes along and says, um, America's already great, like this kind of like democratic line, which is like, we're going to maybe change some stuff around the edges, right? Obamacare is up in the face. Yeah, right. It's all that stuff. And then people know that's wrong. They know that, you know, they played by the rules their whole life. They work 40, at a minimum 40 hours a week. They take care of their kids, everything, and they're still scraping to get by. And so when the neoliberal approach is, oh, everything's great, they're like, that's wrong. And then Trump yeah. comes along and says, actually, it's uh, the Mexican. And I certainly am not like justifying anybody's racism, the opposite of that. But I think people feel like, oh, he acknowledges that something is wrong. His answer to it is fucking insane and some of the most horrible stuff that's ever been said. But he's acknowledging a problem. And so that is yeah. how you get a Trump, a Tom Cotton, a Ron DeSantis, those lunatics. Yeah, I mean, when when the mainstream of both sides refuses to acknowledge the actual problem, that just paves the road for conspiracy theories and things that seem like hidden knowledge, even though they're just fucking racism that we should have cast aside fucking decades ago. But I, I'm kind of getting you into the territory of stuff that we talk about a lot. Um, but I wanted to see if there were any other points that you want to make specifically. I could talk about that stuff all day, man. So no need to apologize. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my, my fear is that like, because we tend to get into like certain ruts, especially like because there's so many topics that are just like, uh, what do you call them? Like tried and true things that we could talk about. Yeah. But uh, was there anything else that you feel like you maybe wanted to add on to the article or anything? Because, I mean, we can also start to wrap it up. I mean, we've done a good hour and a half, and I feel like we got through everything that I wanted to talk about going into tonight. Yeah, I um, I don't have anything else to add. I think we covered it. Yeah, I guess all I'd say is thanks for having me on. I had a, I had a great time. Um, I hope it was as much fun for, for you guys. Yo, this was fantastic. I mean, you feel right in with this. This just flowed so smoothly. It was great. Thank you so much. Of course, man. Yeah, excited to uh, listen to it. And I'll be looking forward to uh, to future episodes. Well, go ahead and uh, plug your social media again and uh, tell our listeners where they can find all your writing. Yeah, definitely. So if you're on Twitter, you can come yell at me. I'm at Joe Mayall. That's J-O-E-M-A-Y-A-L-L. -L. And then come check out my writing. It's it's totally free. 
I'm supported by one anonymous donor from Langley, Virginia. They give me $800,000 a month. So whoever that is, I thank you for that. But yeah, the upside to that is uh, you guys don't have to pay to read me. Um, and you can find me at joerote.substack.com. So that's J-O-E-W-R-O-T-E.substack.com. Yeah, hang out with me and uh, read my shit. It's uh, kind of fun and I like uh, talking to everyone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad that you reached out to us, Joe, because this, this is some great stuff. And I'm glad that I, uh, that I have your Substack now. So again, that's J-O-E-W-R-O-T dot Substack dot com. Perfect. Yeah. Joe, we're going to uh, we're going to finish up our plugs and you don't have to stick around for that. But yeah, thank you again, man. I, I really can't thank you enough for coming on. Of course. Yeah. Hopefully we can do it again sometime and uh, enjoy your evening, gentlemen. Thanks. You too. Take care. Okay. Bye. All right. So thank you as always to our Patreon subscribers. Thank you to Der Baron Yuda, Vincent, Nicholas Maduro, Caitlin, Gus, Kyle. Madman, Robert, Garden of Nurgle's Delights, Comrade Rev, Cosmic Crown, Michael, Dan, Liquidated Bourgeoisie, Sigmund, Stewart, Pizzeria, Colton, El Robert, Allison, Zach, Raven Enigma, Marvin, K. Ryder, Not Drinking Water 69, James, Madboy, Elam, Venture X, Jared, the Australian one, another Jared, Bill Killionaires, Bro, you know Marks, David, Tristan, Devante, your mother, Charlotte, a third James, Bishop Mew, rural Marxist, John Bobby Fan 420, Kyle, Jean Claude Manhands, Mail, Phil, and Blackwater Gender. Thank you all. And uh, for Ward, I will plug his Instagram. That's Millennial Leftist. You can find him on Twitter at Ward Lolly. And for Cosper, the Patreon is Patreon.com/slash Existence is Innocent, separated by underscores. And Sterling is just having some technical difficulties still. So it's Twitter slash Sterling left his pod. All right. Well, thank you once again to uh, Joe for coming on. And thank you all for listening.